and uh, thankful to hear the testimony, thankful for the whole weekend, man, to look at the, the missions fair and then get to know these missionaries uh, and have a part in what they're doing. Um, it's been awesome. It's been good. And uh, if you haven't been here all weekend, we're just glad you're here this morning. Amen. Hope you can get something out of the service. And Ruth chapter number two, Ruth chapter number two, I, I kind of teased you a little bit before we got in the morning service in Sunday school and I asked you, what kind of legacy will you leave behind? And uh, I want to look at a, a woman in the Bible who, uh, there are four chapters of the Bible dedicated to a book named after her. So this is a story about a a woman named Ruth, and in all honesty, she kind of comes out of nowhere, kind of out of obscurity and into the spotlight, and and really she's the last person that you would ever expect to make a difference the way that she did. And uh, maybe you look at yourself that way. Maybe you look at yourself and go, man, I could never be like Brother Pilat. I could never go to uh, Korea. I could never do this or that. Uh, let me just say this much. God is willing to use you if you want to be used. Uh, look at Ruth chapter number 2, starting in verse 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess, that's important to know, she's not a Jew, she's not of Israel. She is a stranger uh, from the covenants of promise of the nation of Israel. She's a Gentile, in so many words, by reading the, the fact that her title is the Moabitess, uh, her identity is a foreigner. She is an outsider. Ruth the Moabite said unto Naomi, her mother-in-law, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers and her hap, it just happened to be, her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? In other words, where is this lady from? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers uh, among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz and Ruth, hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not glean in another field. In other words, stay here. Stay in this field. Uh, Neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap. Uh, Look, if you were to verse 10, then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes? Isn't that kind of how you felt when you got saved? Amen. Why did I find grace in God's eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said, her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done under thy mother-in-law since the, day, since the death of thine husband, and that, how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not, heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer this morning. I'm going to ask Brother Steon if you would open us up in a word of prayer, sir. Amen. Be seated if you would. I, I, I want to bring you kind of a simple thought, and it's, uh, it's about gleaning in order to gain a legacy. Now, if you don't know, if, if you're not familiar with your Bible, or you're not familiar with your Old Testament, you might read 
what we just read, and you might wonder, what does it have to do with my life? What does it have to do with the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ going into all the world? What does this have to do with me leaving a, an eternal legacy, a legacy that will span beyond my lifetime? What, what does Ruth have to do with my life? And if you're thinking that, let me help you out a little bit. Let me give you a little bit of history. Uh, Joshua, after Moses takes, uh, passes on, Joshua, the book of Joshua tells us about the conquest of Israel going in the promised land and, and how God would keep his promises if they would live up to the commandments that he gave them. They were promises that were conditional in nature. And God said this to Joshua, tell the people to observe all, whatsoever is written in the book of the law. And so they go into the promised land, they wipe out their enemies, and then God establishes Israel in their land. But here's the problem. The very same thing that they had wiped out or they said that they wiped out some of those things were things that they cling to in their personal lives that's why the book of judges comes after joshua and listen, on the surface, oftentimes we look at the evil in our society and we go, man, I'm against that. But there are certain elements within those evils that we look at and go, I don't see what the big deal is. And there are things within our hearts that we hold on to. And God says, I want that out of your life. And if you're not careful, you'll end up like the book of Judges. You say, what's Judges about? Uh, judges, by the way, this is Old Testament history in like five minutes, all right? The judges is about everyone doing what they think is right in their own eyes. The Bible can't tell me what to do. God can't tell me what to do. I've got no authority. I've got no direction. And you know what? I'm going to figure it out as I go. That's a terrible way to live life. God gave you a book to direct your life. You know that? Uh, God, listen, people are literally risking their lives to get the Bible into other countries, and you've got it on your lap. Let it be your guide. Don't live a life like a practical atheist. A lot of Christians do that. It's like, yeah, I'm a born-again Christian. I go to church. I open my Bible on Sunday. I open it on Wednesday, maybe. And, and you know what? I'll figure it out the rest of the days of the week. Listen, that's how a practical atheist lives their life. I'll call the shots. I'll know what's right for my life. It's a terrible way to live. It's exactly what Israel was going through in the book of Judges. And so the, the book of Judges uh, describes for us a, a number of atrocities, and it's, it kind of reminds us that even people that have truth can make a mess of their lives. It is with that backdrop that we begin the book of Ruth. And if you were to go back to chapter 1, which we're not going to read all of it right now, but if you were to go back to chapter 1, here's a, a, a kind of in a nutshell what happens there's a, a family, and this family is, is there in Bethlehem, and Bethlehem means the house of bread, and there's a little bit of a famine that goes on, and God tests their faith a little bit, and, and when that famine comes, you know what they do? They do what a lot of people do. When there's trouble, they leave. Anybody ever been there before? They left where God had placed them, and they go into the land of Moab. And when they go in the land of Moab, those sons that they brought with them married women of Moab, which, by the way, was against the Old Testament law. And so now these sons, it, we read in, in chapter 1 that Malon and Kilion, the two sons of this family, they die. And the husband, Elimelech, he dies. And so who do you have left? You've got the mother-in-law and these two daughters-in-law going, what do we do now? And so Naomi, as her name is in the Bible, she hears that God visits her own people in Bethlehem and gives them food, and they're, they're blessed of God again. So what does she do? She goes back. By the way, that's a good thing to do when you realize you're in the wrong place, to go back where God was blessing. All right? You know, sometimes for a Christian, that's get back in church. That means get back in your Bible. That means start thinking about things that are eternal again. Get back to a place of blessing in your life. Quit living for the here and now. It's going to be here and gone before you know it. And so Naomi goes, okay, I need to go back to the land of my nativity. So she goes back, and she's got, Naomi, or she's got Ruth and Orpah, her daughters-in-law, and she says to her daughters-in-law, hey, you know what? You are free. You are no longer under the bondage of marriage. I cannot give you a husband. I don't know how to provide for you. I want to go back to my land. You two go back to your own gods. Go back to your own culture. Go back to your own country. And Orpah goes, peace out. See you later. Sounds good to me. And Ruth goes, you know what, where you go, I'll go. Whatever God you serve, that's the God I'm going to serve. And Ruth comes along for the ride. And that's where we pick up in chapter 2. And what I, I think about here is this, that God could have named a, a book of the Bible after Mary, the mother of Jesus, or a book of the Bible after Elizabeth. Can you imagine if, if God had kind of gotten a council of people together and said, okay, who should we write a book about? There would be a whole lot of people that go, Mary, Mary, Maria, Santa Maria. 
Samaria, right? There'd be a whole lot of people go, Mary, she's the mother of Jesus. She should get a book named after her. And, and then Elizabeth, I mean, she's the mother of John the Baptist. Can you imagine parents? I mean, I've met new, you know, moms of newborns, and they think their baby's the most beautiful baby, the most wonderful baby. Can you imagine Mary and Elizabeth talking? You know, like Mary's, you know, Elizabeth's talking about, well, my son's going to be the foreigner. And she's like, well, that's great. I'm glad he's paving the way for my boy. I mean, can you imagine that kind of conversation going back and forth between those, kind of, those moms, you know? And so you got Mary and Elizabeth. You can write books in the Bible about maybe Deborah, about Jael, the Jael, the one that drives the nail. Anybody remember that in the, in the book of Judges? If you don't know what I'm talking about, listen, don't go to sleep with an angry woman. Amen. All right? That, that's all I can tell you. You can read about that in the book of Judges some other time. But, but here's, here's what I can tell you. A lot of books could be written about certain people in the Bible, especially women in the Bible, and yet God chooses Ruth. Why? Why does he do that? Now, if you know the end of the story, you may go, I, I think I know why. Can I just point to you in chapter 2 that Ruth does something that I think as an outsider was very challenging. Here she is in a new land, in a new culture, and, 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 and she says, you know what, let, let me go do something that is looked at as beneath. It's kind of like the lowest of the low. Because when you learn about how things are made and harvesting and food, we're kind of divorced from that in America. We kind of go to the grocery store and there's the food. I'll never forget years ago we had someone from our church and they're no longer here. Good, good people, good people. But they came over to our house and they, they looked at our chicken coop and they looked at the eggs and they go, are those eggs? And, and I was like, yeah. She goes, do you eat them? Yeah. Is it safe? Yes. And I finally said, where do you think eggs come from? The store. <laughs> we're we're kind of divorced from where food comes from. But if you study the Old Testament, you'll find out there's the first fruits. That's when things just start to blossom. And it's, it's just the beginning of harvest. And then there's the harvest. That's the main harvest. And then after everything else, there's kind of the season of what I would call the leftovers. And, and that's the season for gleaning. That's after the field has been worked and there's nothing else left and stuff's on the ground. You know what you do over in the book of Leviticus? It says that for the poor and the strangers, you would leave the, the, the leftovers in the field for the poor and the strangers to walk through and just pick up what they could off the ground. You go, man, that's kind of humbling. If you show up as a gleaner, automatically you are a marked person. You are someone that's saying, I'm poor or I am a stranger. Let me just say this. Before Jesus found me, I was poor and I was a stranger. Amen. Before Jesus saved my soul, do you know what I was? I was without hope and I was without God. I was a stranger from the covenants and the promises of God. I didn't know who God was. I didn't have peace in my heart, but man, he came inside of me and gave me joy and gave me peace and gave me love, gave me a purpose in life. I'm not a stranger anymore, <laughs> but I once was. Now, some of you look at me and go, he's really strange. I mean, I feel bad for some of the kids around here. I don't know a stranger. That's how I am. I like, you know, especially with kids. And when I feel like a kid kind of withdraws, I'm kind of like, hey, buddy. <laughs> you know, I feel bad for some of the kids. I know they're probably thinking, he is a stranger. <laughs> I, I mean, you, you know where I'm going. I mean, both of their kids, they kind of have dad's stoic personality. They're kind of like, hmm. Daddy, father, what do you think of this man <laughs> that we call pastor? You know? <laughs> In a, and I'm kind of getting to know the Moore's kids as well, you know, and, and I can tell some of them, me and Addie are getting to know each other a little bit. She's still, a, she's still skeptical. She's kind of like, I don't know about that guy. When I say stranger, I don't mean like stranger danger. I mean someone that's on the outside looking in. That's what all of us were before we got saved. Let me say it like this. In Ruth's mind, when she was living her life out, just like you are right now, Ruth did not think someday there's going to be a book of the Bible named after me. And people are going to talk about what I did for years and years and years. No different than when Mary came to the feet of Jesus and she poured that, broke that box and poured out that ointment. And what did the Lord say? This will be spoken of as a memorial unto her wherever the gospel goes in all the world. What a blessing. I know this though. Mary didn't do that thinking my name's going to be recorded in scripture and they're going to talk about it for years and years. She was just living out what she knew to do. So we're talking about leaving a legacy and looking at the gospel of Jesus Christ and having some kind of impact on the world around us for, the, for reaching souls for Jesus Christ. Let me ask you again, what kind of legacy are you going to leave? You know what some people do? Well, my church, I'm not talking about your church, you. What are you doing? Well, you know, I, well, okay, well, my church, no, 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 not the church. 
What are you doing for Jesus Christ? Let me tell you something right now. There are young people around the world, I'm not trying to pick on you guys, I love you, but you're in the spinning section, so you're right here, and I gotta talk to you. There are young people all over the world that wish they could do what you're doing right now. Don't blow it. Don't waste the opportunity that God has given you. You have the Bible, you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got freedom of expression. Man, you don't get that all over the world. Take that and use that for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Leave a legacy beyond yourself. I look at Brother Pilat. Man, we, gotta, we are brothers. I know we don't look like it, but we brothers, amen? We're like twins, practically, spiritually, because we were both led to Christ by Brother Billy Haas. You say, what is that? You know what that man left? That man left a legacy. And the work goes on today. But you know what? If Billy had done what Billy wanted to do when Billy was in high school, that would not have been the case. He would have gone and played baseball or something else, and that would have been the end of it. No impact on eternity. No impact on souls. You say, what was it? A desire to leave something behind. You say, what does it take? Well, maybe you've got to learn to glean. we got a generation that doesn't like work. We just do. You know, it's kind of like, well, I, one time I had a guy. Uh, who here knows Joe Gaines? Anybody who knows Joe Gaines? All right, all right. You know, Joe Gaines is known classically for having said this. Dude, I don't think you understand. I just want to get paid more money and not to have to work. <laughs> and if you meet Joel, it makes a lot of sense, all right? But, but let me just say this much. We, we have a generation that really doesn't value work. He, here's what happens when you get saved. You're all excited about the Lord. You want to do something for God. And then you realize doing something for God involves people. <laughs> and people are messy, aren't they? And they got baggage. And even years after you're saved, you might still have bitterness in your heart because of what you experienced as a child, as we learned from our dear brother in Sunday school. We are human beings even after getting saved. And there are tendencies and, and, and there are issues and quirks that people have. And you go, man, people are just, man, people are just weird. I don't understand people. And really, everyone's saying that about you as well, by the way. You know what you learn about, about the ministry? It is work. Reaching people with the gospel takes dedication. It takes work. And you know what I see in Ruth? I see someone that goes, you know what? I may not be a reaper. I may not be someone that harvests. I may not be one of the big names. Listen, you know what they did? They, you can read it right in the passage. You read that the gleaners came after the reapers. Here we are in the last days of the church. If you haven't studied church history and, and prophecy and all that, we are in the last days. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not smart enough to prognosticate what year the Lord is coming back. Some guys can do that. I'm not that smart. Here's what I know. Live your life today as if he was coming back and you'll do just fine. I know this, he's coming soon. I know we're at the end of the church. You say, what was Philadelphia? Oh, there was a harvest there. There was reaping going on. Now we're in Laodicea at the end of the church. And you know what you say? Well, we're just at the end. We just got to hold on. Gar rubbish. That's a British word that Brother Sam will appreciate. Rubbish. You know what I say to that? Listen, the same God that worked in Philadelphia wants to work in Laodicea, but you've got to roll your sleeves up and go, I'm willing to glean a little bit. It's kind of dirty work. It kind of, you have to get down all fours sometimes. It's not very uh, you know, prestigious. It's, it's kind of like beneath those that are reaping. I don't even have the tools and instruments I like to use. But you know what, God? I've got hands. I've got legs. I can work. Lord, let me do something for you. You know what Ruth said? Let me go. Let me do something. I, I don't know what else to do because after all, I'm a stranger. I'm the outcast. I'm not sure how this all goes. I read in this story that Ruth, Naomi's a lot like the law. She can't help Ruth. All the law can do is point you to the Savior. Naomi can't save Ruth. She can just go, here's what I think you should do. And Ruth is the Gentile, the outsider, a very good a picture of the, of the believer today, of the church. And, and then there's Boaz, the owner of the field. Doesn't the Bible say in the Gospels when Jesus talks about the parables that the field is the world? And we look around us and we go, man, it's, it's not like it was before. And man, it, things are a mess and you can't leave your doors unlocked and kidnapping and this and that. And, the, you know, they think they're girls and they think they're boys. They don't know what they are and what. But things are just a mess today. Yeah, but can you glean a little bit? Can you roll your sleeves up and go, I can do something for God today. I'm still alive in 2022. You know what that means? God's not done with me yet. So you know what I need to learn to do? I need to be like Ruth and roll my sleeves up and go, Lord, 
I want to do something for you. In a time that preceded that famine, there was that famine, and then finally God blessed. You know what I think is going on? COVID, man, woke a lot of people up. And it was scary, and it was weird, but let me just tell you this right now. If you're not saved, that's nothing compared to what the tribulation is going to be like. At not even close, not even a micron of what it's going to feel like, look like, whatever else. If you're not saved, we want you to get saved today. <laughs> but but you, you believers, you, you felt it, the, the, the momentum in the world, the spirit kind of changed a little bit. And you kind of felt like, man, things are just not like they were before. But can I also say this? Can I also say that many people that have gotten in this church got saved because after COVID they're going, man, what in the world is going on out there? It is a freak show, and I don't want to be a part of it. If there's a God out there, save me. I'm glad so many people got saved after that. You know what happened? Our church actually grew. You know what I see? I see God blessing in a time of famine. But you know what that means? It's time for some of us to go, hey, Lord, I can glean, so I will. I met a man named Manuel last week, a couple weeks ago when I was in Mexico. Whatever week, I don't even know what date is anymore. Whatever that was, <laughs> a year ago, a week ago, whatever it was. And this guy had his leg kind of like this. It went out like this. He's in a bad accident. And that man with that one leg on that crutch would roll up into the outskirts of the town, the village, the, the, the city where he lived. And he'd go into the, the comisarias, as they call them, little villages. And he'd go out there and he'd preach the gospel. And people got saved. And people were discipled, and people were trained the Word of God. People were given hope. And here's this guy with one, bad, one good leg with very little strength. And I, in my mind, I remember walking out of church, and he was in front of me. And it was like this image is burned in my mind. Every time I complain, every time I say I can't do it, every time I come up with an excuse, all I can think of is, like the brother said in Sunday school, if you want to make a way, you make a way. Quit making excuses and be a way maker like your Savior is. Your Savior is not an excuse maker. He's a way maker. Amen? You know what he'll do? He goes, there's a storm. Let's walk on water. Well, I can't do that. You can if you're walking with him. You know, I see, I see Ruth's going, you know what? I don't have a whole lot to offer, but I can glean. And you might go, well, I don't know what I can do. I'm not sure that I have any kind of great thing to offer as a legacy. Let me say this. Carve your name on hearts, not on tombstones. Carve your name on hearts. A legacy is etched in the minds of others and the stories that they share about you. When you, when you, what you leave behind is not what is engraved in stone monuments, but it, what is woven into the lives of others. I read about a story about a king named Jehoram in the Old Testament. He comes after Jehoshaphat, one of the greatest kings that ever was. You know what it says about him? He departed without being desired. You know what that means? When he left, no one cared. Now listen, if you're a Christian and you live for God, Time and Life magazine is not going to write an article about you. All right? You're probably not going to get on the cover of Esquire or GQ, guys give up on it. Women are now the covers of GQ anymore. It's weird. I mean, I mean, don't, don't, don't go that route. What I'm saying is this. You may not get noticed by the world, but people will remember you. We're talking about a woman that lived hundreds of years before Jesus Christ, and she's still relevant today. Look, if you would, at Ruth chapter 2, look, if you would, at verse 2. If you want to leave a legacy, you want to learn to glean... <laughs> In order to leave a legacy, there's some things you got to do. Number one, it, it requires urgency. Look, if you would, at verse two, look at the word here. Let me now, now, not tomorrow, not maybe someday. You know what? I like to do that. Some, I hear Christians say all the time, I'd love to go there someday. I'd like to do that someday. I'd like to serve God someday. Why don't you start right now? When someone says, I want to go, I want to be a missionary. I'm going to go to Bible school and learn the word of God. I'm gonna, all right, can I encourage you to start coming to church now? <laughs> Read your Bible now. Start witnessing your neighbor across the street now. Listen, some of you have the ability to reach people that I can't reach. Are you doing that? Are you attempting to? Do it now. Quit waiting for tomorrow. She didn't say, you know, someday I want to get around to this. She said, you know what? God has given me an opportunity, and I am going to take it. Listen, when you got saved, you know what you quit saying? Tomorrow's the day I'm going to get saved. You finally said, today is the day of my salvation. And if you're going to serve God and do anything that matters for him, it's going to take the same thing. You know, I think about Christians say this all the time. What's wrong with it? What's wrong with it? How come I can't? Why don't you start asking what's right with it and how you can make an impact for eternity for Jesus Christ with what you're doing? So many Christians go, here's the line with the world. How close can I get? You ever play that game when you were kids, you know, you know, and kind of doing that number, you know? 
I, I play games with the boys. I go, hey, boy, don't cross this line. I got a game with Ethan. I go, don't touch my wife. He goes, but she's my mom. That's my wife. You know, we do this thing. And I say, don't, cut, don't, cut, don't get near her. Don't get near her. And he goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we do that with the world. How close can I get? Instead of doing that, why don't you go, where's the line that I can find that allows me to get the gospel of Jesus Christ to my friends and family? where's the line that will allow me to go further for the Lord than where I'm at right now? Instead of saying, what's wrong with it? You know what Ruth didn't do? She didn't stand around and go, how close can I get to the world? You know what she said? I've got an opportunity for a different life. I'm going to take advantage of it right now. Can I ask you a question? What does the Lord burden you to do right now? What is the thing that God wants you to do? Maybe, maybe, maybe you're looking and you've heard some things already and Sunday's going to go, man, the Lord's dealing with me about this. Are you going to wait till tomorrow? When the invitation is given, you go, uh, yeah, I'll deal with that tomorrow. I don't need to go down there. I love it when someone goes, the invitation, the altar call is not in the Bible. Neither is your paycheck. <laughs> you will gladly receive it every two weeks. Why, why do we have this argument? You know what you need to do when the Lord is dealing with your life? Instead of, you know, looking around and go, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll deal with it tomorrow. Do it now. Do it now. Some of you know this. My, my friend in ministry, Bob Campbell, up there in Divide, Colorado, New Beginnings Baptist Church, was diagnosed with a butterfly tumor about a month or so ago. And they said, you got three to six months to live, nothing we can do. Now, I pray they're wrong. I, I do. I, I, my, the way I, I, some of you are like, well, let's just pray for God's will. If it's your spouse, you'd be like, oh, Lord, please help him now. So I think we ought to pray for that, but can, can, I, can I just throw this out there? If a doctor came to you and said, hey, buddy, you've got three months to live, would that change anything? Why don't you just start living that way now? With a little bit more urgency, like, I, I've got to do this now. There's some things in my life. Look, I'm not talking about necessarily, I've got, I got to sell my house and move overseas. Maybe, maybe that is what God wants you to do. But for some of you, it's simply, like, you know what? I'm going to witness to my parents and my witness to my family at Thanksgiving. I'm going to do this now. I'm not going to wait anymore. I'm not going to keep saying maybe tomorrow when God says, hey, take that gospel track out and the Lord burdens your heart. Man, I'm so thankful. I, I'm thankful, Mike, that you're here. You've been coming to church. It's a real blessing. I, I don't mean to pick on you publicly, but it's awesome. I, I, the other day, you know, a couple weeks ago, the other day, everything's the other day when you get old, man. You start, white hair starts showing up. It's the other day. It could have been five years ago, you know. But I was, I was in my house, and the Lord just said, man, you need to give that guy an invitation to church. He was already saved. I, man, I was just like, I don't know. I don't want to make the guy feel like I'm a weirdo. He's in my house. You know, and the Lord just said, you need to do it. And I was like, all right, Lord, I'm going to do it. And I'm glad I did. He's here right now because of that. You know what that means, though? At some point in your life, you've got to have some urgency about what God wants you to do. You can't keep saying tomorrow. If God wants you to go to the mission field, go. If God wants you to join the church, join. If God wants you to do something to live for him, do it now. Quit waiting until tomorrow. This idea of I'll have tomorrow, you may not. You may not. I believe this sincerely. I think we're at the end of the church age. I do. How far? Is it 10 years, 20? I have no idea, but I know this. We are closer now than we've ever been. I can say it with a confidence of mind. You should have some urgency because the need is great. Because the opportunity is great because the time is short. Jesus said it this way, I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. You got time to work? Work. God's giving you something to do? Do it. You can teach a class? Teach a class. You can help a nursery? Help a nursery. You can play the piano? Play the piano. You can write letters and give people the gospel of Jesus Christ? Write letters. Do something, but do it now. Let me ask you right now, take your week and divide it up into your time in working and paying bills and just living life, which there's nothing wrong with that, but divide all of that versus that which is eternal in your life. How does it measure up? Leonardo da Vinci said, I've been impressed with the urgency of doing. Knowing is not enough. We must apply. Being willing is not enough. We must do. Look, if you would, at verse 2 again. Let me say this. I notice here, not only does she have urgency, she's got some humility about her. She doesn't mind being someone that's a little bit below everybody else. You know what she says? I'll glean. <laughs> uh, maybe I, I'm not that great, but I can glean. You know, it reminds me of that woman that goes to Jesus and, and says, Lord, I need some help. And you know what he says to her? <laughs> I mean, if, if Jesus was alive today, they would ban him from social media. <laughs> a thousand percent. You know what he says to this woman? Hey, lady. It's not me to take the crumbs from the uh, children's table and cast it to the bread from the children's table and cast it to the dogs. Let's, let's just read between the lines a little bit. I'm not trying to be sacrilegious here, but what's a female dog? 
that's what, that's what she could have taken away from that conversation. You know what she responded with? Lord, you're right, but I'll eat the crumbs that fall from your table. <laughs> Can I be honest with you? One of the challenges we have as modern-day Americans is America. God's gun freedom, amen. I'm not against all that, but, but hear me out. There's such an individualistic nature when someone asks you to do something that you think, someone comes to this church and they go, I can teach a class and I can do this. I go, can you help clean? Oh, well, that's kind of, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't do that. <laughs> then you're not ready to teach a class. Right. You know why? You know, what, you know what Ruth said? I don't care where you put me. You want to put me on the ground? I'll, I'll go to the ground. You know what that Syrophoenician woman said? Lord, I don't care what anyone else thinks. I don't care what they call me. You can call me a dog. I came to get something from you, and if I've got to eat the crumbs that fall from the table, I'm glad to do that. You know what I see there? Some humility. You know what there's no room for in the work of God? Pride. I'm not an apostle. I'm not a prophet. I'm no great thing, but you know what I am? I'm someone that God said, I'm a sinner saved by grace, and I've got the ability to do something for God, and I want to do that something for God. Whatever it is that God has called me to do. Can I tell you something? I went over to Mexico, and I was burdened. Every time I go to Latin America, I come back going, man, we've got to get some people over there. We gotta. But I'm also, every time I go to the mission field, God always confirms for me that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be in Aurora, Colorado, on the side of a bank, hopefully not for too long on the side of a bank, amen, but on the side of a bank, preaching the gospel and preaching the word of God to God's people in Aurora. I'm, con- I'm, I'm solid, I'm confident in that, and I'm thankful for that confidence. But can I say this much? If God were to say, hey, I want you to sell everything and go, would that be beneath me? It should not be. Let me ask you a question. What is God telling you to do? You know, he says in Proverbs, before honor is humility. The Bible says to put on humbleness of mind. See, he says, I'm just a stranger. You know what we were? We were just strangers before the Lord found us. And you know what I, I've learned? Uh, Saul, the king, he got real, real high and lofty and, and he lost the kingdom. You may not know the story, so I'll tell you real quickly. When, when Saul was first told by Samuel that he was going to be the king, his uncle asked him about that private conversation. He goes, hey, what did, what did Samuel and you talk about? And you know what Saul never mentioned? He talked about the donkeys, the, de- the asses that were lost in the desert, and he went and found them. He said, I, I, I told him about that, but I didn't feel the need to tell him about me being a king because that's God's business, it's not mine. And then something happens to Saul. And for the majority of the rest of his life, you know, he reminds everybody, I'm the king. Do you know I'm the king? Did I tell you I was the king? Do you know I'm the king? Did I tell you that? Just show you a rey. I'm the king. Did you get that? Did you get I'm the king? Did you get that? That's what Saul did for the rest of his life. And you know what he did? He lost it. You know why I think he, did? he lost it? I think he forgot where he came from. You know what I think it happened to some of God's people? We've forgotten where we came from. It takes humility in order to leave a legacy. Look, if you would, at verse number 8 and verse number 9 and verse number 22. Verse number 8, Then said Boaz and Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. My maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap. You know what he's saying? I want you to set your focus on this field. Listen, let me say it like this. You may look at what some other person is doing in service for God and go, well, that's really important. I wish I could do that. You should do what you're supposed to do. Your eyes should be on your field. In, in, other, in other words, don't, don't have the greener grass complex, all right? Understand that God has given you a field to work with your school, with your family, with your children. Listen, moms, uh, especially with the little ones that are, you know, at that nursery age, and you feel like your life is gone, and you're never going to get it back again, and who am I anymore? They suck the life out of me. Those children are your field. <laughs> you should embrace that. And and listen, Dad, those kids are your field. You should embrace that. This church, if you're a member of this church, is your field, and you should embrace that. The world, your neighbors, your your, your co-workers at work, that's your field. Keep your eyes on it. You know what I'm saying? It takes some focus. You ever talk to someone, you can tell they're they're talking, but they're kind of like looking behind you and looking around. And Basically, any wife that's ever talked to her husband, you understand what I'm talking about? Amen. 
You, you know, and, and listen, I, I got I to be honest with you. I, God, God is for this is yours and this is yours. Ethan, can I, can I ask you to move just over there just for a second, buddy? I'll never forget. We got married in July. July 29th. <laughs> 2000. And uh, about a month and a half later, we were in Bible school. I went to the same school that Tim went to, that Joe went to. And I remember in Bible school, about a month and a half after we were married, this is kind of how it looked. <laughs> and it was kind of like, really? Oh my gosh, really? Oh. <laughs> oh, no, you're too much. No, no, you're too much. No, I love you. <laughs> That's what everybody else is thinking right now. I know. And and listen, we went from that to this is my side of the bed. Keep your cold feet off of my body. Why does it feel like you're dead right now? That's your side of the bed. This is my side of the bed. You you know what I've learned. I've learned the principle of focusing on my field. This is my field. That's yours. I'm trying to apply some spiritual truth to something that's not spiritual at all. But you know what? You know what I'll tell you, all joking aside. What happens over time is you move further and further away from the Lord, and you start to kind of just separate your life and go, this is mine and that's yours. I'm not talking about this is mine and that's yours. I'm talking about saying, Lord, everything's yours. The king-size bed that you begged for years to get is now here. (laughs) And there still isn't enough room. (laughs) But it's all yours. Lord, this is yours. <laughs> and Lord, if, if it's yours, then I want to be busy about what you want me to be busy about. Amen. You know what's real easy to do? You got bills, you got kids, broken arms. You got boys, broken arms times two, whatever is going on in your house. I mean, life happens. Can I get a witness? Yes. And your eyes shift and they get onto the earthly and the terrestrial and you start thinking about everything that's just down here. I'm pretty sure, and I don't mean to pick on the moors, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of logistical complications moving from Alaska to Colorado. I'm sure there were some things that were not exactly easy to take care of. Uh, and and in, the, in the midst of life, what happens is you start looking at all the logistics and all the, the, the point A to point B stuff, and what you forget about is this is A and that's B. It takes focus to keep your eyes on the right field. But can I tell you this? And I think this is the most important point in the message and we'll be done. Look, if you would, at verse 12. Over in Matthew 20, Jesus gives a parable of the vineyard and he says to those that are standing in the, in the marketplace, he says, why stand ye here all the day idle? I think the reason they were standing idle was because they forgot their purpose. They lost their focus. Why are you here? Why are you breathing right now? It's not just to take up room and buy stuff on Amazon and then kick the bucket and leave stuff to your kids. You're here as a born-again child of God to leave something after when you're gone. Don't lose your focus. Lastly, let me say this. It brings promise. Don't lose sight of the promise. Look at verse 12. The Lord recompense thy work. You know what God is not going to do? He will not forget your labor of love. And notice what it says here. And a what kind of reward? A full reward you know in second john it says look to yourselves that we lose not things which we have wrought but that we receive a full reward you know what god wants to bless you with in eternity a full reward 
You know what that is? That's God's way of saying, look, I am watching your labor. I'm watching some of you suffer. I'm watching some of the, the hardship. I'm watching your dedication to your field, and I will not forget it. I'm taking note of what's going on. Aren't you thankful to have a God like that? People might reject you. You may not be the most popular person, but man, if you dedicate your life to serving God, he will not forget your labor. What a great God we serve. I'll never forget years ago, when the girls were little, they would, Isabel and Ariana, they would sell me their art. And they would, they would, I would come home and they'd be like, Daddy, 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 you got to come in. They got to come in my room. And they turn the lights off and they have a flashlight and they, here is an art show. You know, and, and, and they would point to the, the pictures on the wall. And then I'm like, oh, those are beautiful. I love it. And they're like, yeah, that one will be 25 cents. They suckered me out of a lot of money that way. I mean, true story. Lenny's like, are you ser- I'm serious, man. They were entrepreneurs from the beginning. And they knew which market not to go to. Mom would have been like, so, mom, this is how mom would have responded. So I bought the crayons. I bought the colored pencils. I bought the paper. You want me to buy this picture? I come home and I'm like, oh, sure, honey, here's my 401k. But I'll never forget, they were counting their money one time. <laughs> and Ariana convinced Bella that nickels were more than dimes because they're bigger. <laughs> and Bella's like, okay. <laughs> and I had to step in and break up that party. Because I was like, went to my wife, I'm like, okay, are they learning like money stuff in class? And it's like, yeah, yeah. Does anyone know what a dime is? Yes. <laughs> You know what Ariana was doing? She was suckering her little sister out of, listen to me, out of her full reward. You know what some of you Christians are doing right now? You're looking at the big shiny object and you're going, oh, but that's bigger. That's bigger, must be better. Can I remind you a little as much when God is in it? Ruth doesn't know what she's about to step into, so let me give you a fast forward. Ruth and Boaz get married. Boaz redeems her because nobody else wants her. That's what the Lord did for us when he saved us. And you go, what's the full reward? Well, she does get to eat. There's no doubt about that. She gets married to Boaz. That's a blessing as well. She gets a book in the Bible named after her. That's awesome. But can I show you chapter four and we'll be done. See, what does Ruth get? She gets a baby. She gets to give life. Do you know what you ought to be doing as a Christian? Giving life. And I don't just mean like this. Okay? I mean spiritually. And Ruth has this baby, and here's this outsider. You can read verse 13, verse 14. She's blessed by the Lord. And in verse 15, she nourishes, you know. And, and, and verse number 17, her neighbors uh, give a name to the baby, and, and what a blessing that is. They called his name Obed. But can I point out to you in verse 17 who, he, who he's the father of? He's the father of Jesse, who's the father of David. And oh, if you go to Matthew chapter 1, guess who gets in the, linea, the, the, the genealogy and the line of Jesus Christ? Ruth. The outsider gets in. How awesome is that? You know what she's willing to do? Okay, if that's how it works. I'll glean. Well, that's kind of below me. I don't think I want to do that. And she kind of ran into it kind of urgently. And can I be honest with you? (laughs) Some of you run into some things that you wish you hadn't run into. But you won't regret rushing into serving. You won't regret having a little bit of urgency about serving God. What a great God. What a great story. If you're here and you've never been born again, can I say this? God wants to bring you in. He wants to give you the free gift of eternal life. If you're saved, you know what God wants to do? He wants to make your life count for something. Instead of always looking at what's next and the, the promotion at work. and Let me just tell you, I, I've, I've been blessed at my, my secular career, but I'm going to tell you right now, nothing comes close to seeing Luis get saved. 
Nothing comes close to seeing Javen get saved and Eric get saved and Michaela get saved. And nothing comes close to watching people's lives change because you had a part in that. I'm going to ask you one more time. What kind of legacy are you going to leave? Let's all stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be urgent, to be sincere, not to waste any more time, Lord. Time is short. Time is short. Our, our lives are like a vapor. They're here, Lord, for a little time, and then they vanish away. Lord, I, I pray you'd help us to do something in these last days to make a big impact for Jesus Christ. And I don't think it's an accident that you put this church here and You've allowed us to thrive and see people saved and see people grow in their walk with God. And well, we know there's practically three and a half million people in this metro area, most of whom don't know you. Help us have a burden for our mission field. And Lord, I pray if you're calling a, a young man, a young woman into your service, that they would respond to that with urgency and not wait. Nothing against catching a ball. Nothing against being athletically talented or gifted or devoted. That's not bad. It's not evil. But after the ball is caught and after the trophy is won, what's the legacy? Next year, there's another champion. But Lord, in this service, this stuff lasts forever. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask a simple question. Please forgive me. I'm losing my voice. If you're here and you've never been born again, every eye closed, every head bowed, would you be honest enough to say, I don't know that heaven is my home. I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that I've ever been born again, but I'd like to be. Is there anybody here like that? All you have to do is raise your hand and go, that's me. I'd like to be saved. I won't point you out, won't track you down here. Christian, what are you doing with your life? Don't, don't allow church to be ritualist. Don't allow this thing to just be why. Well, I show up on Sunday, I show up on Wednesday and be so detached from the concept of impacting eternity that you live a life that leaves no legacy. You know what Ruth's legacy was? It was embedded in the very genealogy of Jesus Christ. What a legacy that is. She's willing to work, willing to be a little humble, willing to respond to the opportunity, willing to focus on where God placed her, not just look everywhere else, willing to keep her eyes on the prize. want to touch eternity you can do it but at some point eternity will have to be more real to you than just what you're looking at all around you in this mortal world there's an old song and I'll never forget it few months, maybe a month or so prior to my preacher from my youth. Before he went to the mission field, he, he sang a song entitled, So Send I You. And here are the words of that song, So Send I You to labor unrewarded, to serve unpaid, unloved, unsought, unknown, to bear rebuke, to suffer scorn and scoffing. So send I you to toil for me alone. So send I you to bind the bruised and broken or wandering souls to work, to weep, to wake. To bear the burden of a world of weary. So send I you to suffer for my sake. To send, so send I you to leave your life's ambition. To die to dear, desire self. 
self-will resign, to labor long, and love where men revile you. So send I you to lose your life in mine. So send I you to hearts made hard by hatred, to eyes made blind because they will not see, to spend though it be blood, to spend and spare not. So send I you to taste of Calvary. As a 16-year-old young man, I, I remember looking up thinking, oh, Lord, can I do it? Can you use me? Can you use me, Lord? You can if you're willing. He wants to send you. He wants you to go. He wants you to go to that family member, that neighbor. We have a, a plaque outside of, right, right above our door as you leave the church today. And it says, you're now entering the mission field. I got to tell you, there are moments in my life, the older I get, the more they seem to show up. But I just look around, I go, Lord, thank you for doing anything with me. I don't want to leave this planet without having an impact on people. I don't want to leave without making a difference for eternity. I pray you get that same desire. God absolutely wants to use you. Would you be willing to surrender and go, Lord, I'm yours. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of trying to figure it all out. I don't know what the future holds. But I want to be like Ruth. Lord, I know there's a prize at the end. <laughs> it's going to be awesome to get to the other side and have a great reunion and meet all the people that we got to touch for eternity. I'm looking forward to that, guys. I can't wait. You know what, though? This is uh, Robert Moffat, famous missionary to Africa, said, we have all of eternity to celebrate our victories, but only one short hour in which to win them. And that's now. So I pray you leave with some urgency. Grab some gospel tracts. Grab some candlelight invites. Grab, grab something. You know, who, you, know, you know who the people are that pass out gospel tracts? The people that have them. <laughs> so grab some on your way out. Uh, think about how you can touch eternity this week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Sorry for the ugly tears. I get a little emotional about that. Um, uh, let's close before we cry. Amen. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, Brother Felix, if you would, close this out in a word of prayer, sir.